Welcome to Red Hill Stories, discussions about faith, life, and Jesus. I am your host, Lyle Walker. On the podcast with me today is Matt McDonald. How you doing? Welcome, sir. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, before we get officially into the episode, I always have to do this one little administrative task, was to tell people, uh, if this is your first time listening to a Red Hill Stories podcast, you can always subscribe to our iTunes or Spotify feed. You know, um, check out our, our earlier podcast episodes and uh, seasons at redhillschurch.com slash stories. And while you're there, I encourage you, uh, we also have a, our redhillschurch.com slash messages, right? So you can subscribe to our messages feed and listen to all of our previous messages. And what I mean messages, I mean our sermons from Sunday morning. So that's out of the way. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Based on our... Uh, our pre yeah podcast pre meeting pre pre discussion podcast discussion we've been here for an hour and a half right. guys uh, and uh, we haven't even started recording yet so we're gonna we're, this may be a, a a part one of part two we'll see how things go but I'm excited this is gonna be a good time yeah I will uh, so because I I I expect a lengthy conversation uh, I'm gonna jump right into it like none of this like we're gonna sit here for thirty minutes and talk about stuff that doesn't matter but I do want to ask I do this every episode it just this is this is uh, helpful for people to get to know you a little bit better. And this is the reason why we do this. And this does remind me. This is your first time listening to Red Hill Stories. This is not a – I guess you can call this a testimonial-type podcast. Uh, but the problem with that word, it's not a, something wrong with the word. It's just the way we use it and we define it. A lot of people think of testimony as, say, uh, everything that leads up to the time you meet Jesus. And then that's it. Right, it's the conversion story. It's it's oh Peter's conversion or Paul's conversion. It'd be kind of interesting if we just stopped hearing about what Paul did with his life after the road to Damascus. And that was it, right? That's all yeah. we got. He kind of had an important impact on the world after that moment. Um, and so, what I want Red Hill Stories to be is a, a discussion about what Jesus has done, not just in your salvation, which we'll talk about, but also what Jesus has been doing and is going to continue to do in your life. So that's kind of the 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 reason why we do this uh, but you have a a funny little thing about your life that i like to ask because it helps people you know you're walking through the halls or whoever it may be and be like oh i know matt now it's a little bit better <laughs> so what's that one little thing that so there's a number but i've narrowed it down uh riley actually riley's my wife if y'all don't know um she says a book could be written about my life uh before we met and it's probably true but um so one of the f- Stranger things about me or funny quips, I guess, is I have actually wrestled an alligator. Like a live alligator, not one that... And a live alligator in the wild. Okay, so when you say wrestle, I'm thinking... Yeah, so let's not go like Steve Irwin here or like Joe Dirt. It's not quite like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, so... Let's go to previous life of Matt. There's a little more carnality (laughs) and some, let's say, worldly liquid courage involved, um... But we were out in the swamps where I grew up down in South Florida, uh, well, Central Florida. It was just the podunk country back then. And uh, we spent a lot of time out in the woods and the swamps. And this small town called Mayaka, where there's actually more gators than people. Mm. Um, and I had a buddy who had a, a little cabin on the river. And we were out there gigging gar and throwing them up on the shore. And a little five-foot gator came up and started eating on a, one of them. A little five Yeah, gator. well, there's like some 12-footers that That's night. Sure, so. sure. Uh, so I don't know why I got the great idea to get down into my skivvies and <laughs> swim out of the canoe up to the shore and jump on the back of this gator. Um, you know, back when I was younger, if you told me I couldn't do something, I had to do it. So that was 
probably what started it. But yeah, I just jumped on his back and quickly put my hands around his snout because a gator's mouth can't really open. They don't have that strength. And then I didn't know what to do. I was there. <laughs> so there's, there's a couple questions. All right. Yeah. Okay, all right. So how old were you? Oh, I'm a lawyer. So we'll say <laughs> over 21. Uh, over 21, okay. <laughs> but probably not. Okay, so... I mean, a five foot for anybody who's maybe listening to this, who you're, maybe you're not from Florida and you've never been around a gator. A five foot gator, while not twelve foot, the twelve foot behemoths you don't mess with. No, nope. I don't think anybody's. Well, there's probably people dumb enough. Steve Irwin, but he's right, dead right. now. That's right. <laughs> um, a five foot gator. I mean, I'm six two. They're still big enough and strong enough to eat you. Oh yeah, it'll mess you up. Yeah, yeah. So like. When he says five foot, that's and a, I'm that's five a, six guys, right. so <laughs> so I mean it's not that's not like a that's a significant size gator, okay? Um, and so you jumped on his back, and then you're like, "Oh crap!" Yeah, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I was like, "Hey, I did it!" And then I realized I have to get off this thing Without to my buddies who are in the middle of the river laughing at me at probably one in the morning. And this is black oh, water. Night. Oh, oh okay. this is nighttime. Yeah. Oh, that's, that adds to the, the ridiculousness. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I just, uh, I remember hearing my buddy say, you just need to put your hands on his eyes and that will calm him. And I think I did that. And then I just jumped off and ran. And yeah. he, he, they're like lizards. He was more terrified of me than. Sure, he ran away. For he sure. shot into the water instantly. Yeah. And, you know, I was the coolest guy in my own head. I, I'm not going to admit. There's some <laughs> things that I've done that I, I, I've. I mean, my podcast joke thing was I'm afraid of roaches. So you're significantly more tough than I am. Uh, but I feel like like you're, I would be pretty pretty cool in my eyes if I if I because when you said wrestle a gator, like I mean, yeah, it didn't stand up on its back hind legs and you you got it into a chokehold, but you kind of did. So that's pretty impressive. I'm, yep. I'll, I'll give it to you. I'm alive, and that's only by God's grace. And I like the little scientific <laughs> anecdote you put in there. Like, yes, a gator's mouth has an incredible closing strength mm-hmm. they can't really open them. they well, don't have the, the power to open this so. is an educational podcast yeah, yes, that's so. right that's right so everybody <laughs> we've learned a little bit about um if you if you jump on the back of a gator close its mouth you can't open close his eyes and mm-hmm. you should be okay yep that's that's it that's kinda all it takes like, kind of like when you're if you're in the water and you see a shark coming up you're supposed to hit it in the nose yeah i always feel like if you're that close to a shark, you're dead. No, I actually had a friend do that. Okay, there it is. We were spearfishing, and he had uh, a grouper, and uh, this is actually here, you know, over near Panama City, and a bull shark came right up to him, and he just punched mm. the thing right in the nose. And he just ran away? No, it came back and ate his fish. He had to punch it like three times, and that was the last time I went spearfishing. So this is a podcast about Jesus. Yeah. So let's get to that part. Um, Matt, uh, what is your story? Okay. Well, just kind of going back to the beginning, uh, early life. Uh, I grew up in a wonderful family, um, wonderful parents, wonderful siblings. We went to a great church um, back in Bradenton, which is south of Tampa. It's a bigger town now, but it was really small growing yeah. up. I think it was less than 30,000 people. Um, but... Accepted Christ at a young age, um, thanks to just my parents putting me in the church and, and hearing the gospel over and over again, and um, was a good kid, got pretty rebellious around ninth grade, I would say, um, 
you know, wanting to fit in, wanting to be popular. Uh, all the kids in baseball were drinking and all that. So got into doing some of that, um, which ran afoul of the law pretty quickly mm-hmm. and, uh, got grounded. And that's actually where I learned how to play guitar, um, is I got grounded, you know, indefinitely as every parent should do if they pick you up in a police station. Right. Um, and I was driving my mother crazy because I'm a bundle of energy. And she had an old classical guitar from when she was like 16. Hmm. And she came in and handed it to me and said, make yourself useful. And so I just started kind of plucking away at it. And then I think a week later, she bought me a chord book, okay. which shows you where to put your fingers on a guitar. Uh, and I don't know. The rest is history. I learned how to play guitar from that. So just to clarify, from this little episode, you were arrested. Yes. Okay, you were sitting. Okay, so that's why you got grounded. Not because you were drinking, but you were also yeah, I was, partaking and then got put in beyond bars. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Yep. So good family life, good structure. Like looking back in your past, like mom and dad are not like the um, – issues right you know mommy and daddy issues are not no 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 my parents were wonderful and um you know they did a great job guiding me through that rebellious period Mm -hmm. um making sure you know okay church attendance is up with you (laughs) you have to go to youth group and Mm -hmm. um and just pouring into me and knowing their child well enough to know like how to push and how to pull like Mm -hmm. with discipline and um you know it was pretty quickly like I knew I did wrong. I wanted to repent from that. And so, you know, grounding me for six months wasn't necessary. You know, the mm. month and then Matt has guitar and now he's got something he's pouring into and he's back in church uh, or at least pushing into that. They kind of helped channel that or, or direct it. So that was high school. Um, fine. Still walking <laughs> with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, I graduated and um, at 18 came up to Tallahassee, moved up here for to go to FSU. And I think I did pretty good for the first year I was here. And then, again, just kind of backslid into wanting to be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and the definition of cool to me was partying. Um, and so kind of slid back into that for a few years. Um, got accepted to law school after I graduated um, went to law school, probably about my third year of law school. Where at? Where did you go to law school? At? FSU. Okay, same. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Um, and so went to FSU about third year, I'd say, you know, God started really pushing on me again, like, hey, kid, wake up. Mm. Um, you know, I was just asleep. I was a Christian, but totally ineffective, if not destructive to the kingdom cause. <laughs> um, and he started to slowly wake my heart up. Um, and then... I moved out to California right after I graduated in 2010. That was, you know, you remember the height of the market crash, and mm-hmm. yeah. there was no jobs here. Um, I happened to be dating a girl out there, and I figured, well, I might as well go see her in person. Okay. Uh, and God used that time to really continue to, to grow my heart. Um, what part of California? San Diego. San Diego. Yep. Okay. Um, so... Lived there, uh, got a job out of law school as a paralegal. That's all I could find. Mm. Um, And I actually had to go beg for that job at the time. Mm. Um, But they ended up bringing me on as an attorney. Uh, I was with them until I moved back to Florida in 2008. And while in San Diego, I was going to a Calvary Chapel, and they brought me on as the worship director there um, just to kind of help. It was a church plant. It was small. Um, But so I did that. Uh, so I was working full-time as a lawyer, um, probably about 60 hours a week doing that, 60 to 70. And then 
as a worship director and the church was an hour away. So it was, Oof. we were putting about a hundred hours in a week on the regular. So this um, is before you got married or after? Yeah, this is before. Okay. Um, and I met Riley through Christian Mingle because I had literally no time to, <laughs> to no, see anybody. And just that. to add, you know, difficulty to my schedule, she lived an hour north and my church was an hour south. Oof. So, um, yeah, that, that was some busy times, lots yeah. of driving. And if anybody's been in California, traffic is, it's like Atlanta on steroids. It's terrible. Yeah, that's um, what I hear. So, yeah, God did all that. Um, got married to Riley. Um, and then my, I wouldn't say my heart, um, went into like wanting to be carnal. Um, like it had the prior times it went into just pure apathy. I just got lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, you know, pay attention to my walk and, um, Riley and I, our marriage started to just sink because of that. There's mm-hmm. no leadership. Mm-hmm. She had nothing to lean on or to look after or to run after. Um, and it was 2018, um, found out we were pregnant and we were told we couldn't get pregnant. So we we're like, Whoa, this is awesome. But I, you know, wisely was like, I got to get this guy back home around his family and support system. Cause something needs to shake this dude up. This guy meaning me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, and she felt like the Holy Spirit had told her that. And I was like, yeah, that ain't happening. I don't want to move back to Tallahassee. San Diego is an awesome place to live. And I had a good job and all this. Um, and the law firm I was at offered to make me managing partner. And I don't know what it was about that offer, which as a lawyer, that's kind of the coup de gras. That's what you mm-hmm. seek to attain. And that's about as high as you can get other than being you know, your own firm, I guess. I right, don't know, right. but being partner, made partner. Well, is a big deal. yeah, it's, and being managing partner is like a big deal. Um, and it just sound, it's so sour. It just did not sound mm. good to me. I thought, man, I don't want to link myself with these people. What have I been building here? And that was the impetus where God was like, I want you to go back to Florida. Um, okay. Well, just, just wondering, I, mean, I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm, I'm always interested in certain professions and how they balance that with their Christian walk, right? You know, because one of the things for like, it says, you know, in the qualifications for like an elder is they shouldn't be someone who seeks, um, well, I just had it like, uh, what's the word they use, what Paul uses, but uh, on not unlawful, but what's the what's the word? Unlawful gain, basically. Like, like your job shouldn't be something that is unethical. How do you, I'm not saying that all lawyers are unethical, that's not my point, but how did you feel like, I don't know what kind of law that you necessarily, um, you know, uh, did, but like, how did you balance that culture, that world with your Christian self? Yeah, um, so back then, I don't think I really did, um, mm. and not that I acted unethically in any manner. I do, I practice environmental law as a background um, for the listeners, but, um, and really mostly that that. I specialized in litigation, and what that was was just cleaning up hazardous waste sites. Mm. Um, and, you know, this isn't necessarily like your green pit that's glowing, mm-hmm. you know. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, old shipyard sites, old waste yards, stuff like that, where there's just a ton of contamination spread out over multiple decades and trying mm-hmm. to figure out how do we divide up the liability here. Um, so that was really my specialty. But uh, after I moved here, I'll say, and God really started to get a hold of my heart, um, 
one of the stories, because I also, after I moved here too, I became a lobbyist. So you really want to talk about mixing, uh, bordering the line of ethical standards. Mm -hmm. Um, That, you know, these government is, you know, one of those things that it's just doesn't operate in a clean arena typically. Um, but I met a guy here in town. Um, his name's Derek McGee and he's actually a pastor in town. Awesome guy. He's a lobbyist. Hmm. And, um, he and I have had some discussions. He was just a really friendly guy. And, um, I remember thinking, um, as God was kind of moving my career more out of the everyday practice of law and into Mm -hmm. lobbying was how am I supposed to be in this darkness? It's so dark. And I remember my first real session, um, I literally listened to the Bible every day on the way to and from just cause that's the only thing that felt like it cleaned me. <laughs> like, yeah, right, right, I mean, yeah, cause yeah. you're just around so much, um, worldliness really. Dishonest gain. That's yes. the word. That's what I was coming with. I was like, it doesn't come to me, but that kind of fits with your lobbying. Like, like, like yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So anyhow, uh, the verse God brought me to, or I guess the Bible passage and story was Joseph and him working mm. in the courts in Egypt. And, becoming second in command and yet still having such a integrity and character that he was thrown into prison for a lie that somebody else spoke about him, Mm. you know, and, and even then God maintained his hand on him and led him through that process. Uh, and so, and then with him and then the testimony of Derek McGee, it was just like, okay, we can do this. I can keep my eye on you and be in the world, but not of the world. right? Right. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, with that, there's certain things that you just draw a hard line with your clients, no, yeah. a very hard line. I had one client ask me to do something that was just absurd. He wanted me to try to amend a bill by attaching it to some uh, pornographic film bill. And I was like, no, it doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like, why not? That's what I pay you for. I'm like, then you don't need to pay me. Oof. I'm not doing that. Um, and so you just, I don't know, you, you just go God's way. And, yeah. he, you know. One of the things we've learned as we've moved into our, which we'll get to more into our you know, newer career here, um, is believing that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Mm. And if I have to give something up because I'm standing for God, yeah, he's not going to let me go starve to death because of that. Or if he does, he does. But God's going to provide me exactly what I need. Yeah. So. I, f- I feel that. I, not to, It's not my story, but I, I worked in sales for many years. And at one point I was working for this company, ITD Tech, which has now been shut down. But I mean, my job was basically to lie to people. Like I had, like it was part of the process. And they didn't make it that explicit. But when you read between the lines, you're like, yeah, the whole this is all manipulation. Yeah. Right. And I would, I mean, I would, I would feel like a piece of dirt on the way home many days. But it was how I had to have a job. I couldn't get anything else. I just remember those that season of my life trying to rectify. And it was, that was also happened to be one of my worst seasons of my life just trying to figure out like how am I supposed to be this thing I'm supposed to be while also being forced to do this other thing. And sometimes you do have to make a choice. Uh, Is this something I'm going to continue down? Right. God, like you said, God will open up many doors if you stay faithful to him through that. So, and it's a hard choice. I mean, I don't want to like gloss over this, like people listening, like, Oh yeah, that's good for him and Lyle. Those are like critical faith steps. Yes. And God brings you to that wall. Yep. And it's, are you going to walk past this and walk in my ways, or are you going to have the fear of man and walk mm-hmm. in man's ways? Yeah. And I think if you, you know, you're, there's critical faith moments. Like I, this is getting a little on a tangent here, but right. um, you know, one of the passages I hold dearly, and and I 
speak to a lot of the guys that disciple is Ezekiel 47, which is a story of it's Jesus, but there's a man helping Ezekiel with a measuring rod out of the river that's coming from the temple. And the idea that we're supposed to gain from the story is he, he measures out a thousand cubits. I think it's a thousand and it might be a hundred and you're ankle deep in the water and then another thousand in your, your knee deep and then another thousand in your waist deep and then another thousand and it's over your head. And the idea there is that Christ is measuring out your walk mm-hmm. and he's inviting you into that river and, but you have to step into it. And one of the ways I also kind of try to give an illustration about it is like, I feel like there's, there's rooms and every door, every room has got a door with a key and you can stay in that room or you can unlock the key by exercising that next level of faith mm. of stepping through and you're going to go to that next room with God. And as you go into that, you get closer and closer and more and more intimate with God. And eventually uh, it's like the scale tips mm. and you can't go back anymore. And you, when you go into these hard faith moments, my biggest encouragement is just press through and trust. Right. And when you do one day, eventually like that scale's going to tip mm-hmm. and there's no going back to who you were before because now you have fully tasted and seen the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. As Marshall loves to say, like, you know what that treasure is in the field yeah, and you will sell it all for it. I was thinking, when, I was thinking about like the story of you, you mentioned Joseph, but also like um, Daniel, like two of the more highly ethical character driven characters. Right. Um, not, they're not characters, people of the Bible. And you contrast their lives with say Saul, David, Solomon and we always think of David, we put him on like the high, you know, the, the high block. Yeah, of heart like, of God. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. But if you look at those two, specifically Joseph and, and, and Daniel, like when they were put into a place of having to make that, that hard call, like, am I going to follow God or am I going to follow man? Both of the end results were pr- like prison. Like not, in, not, you know, Daniel got thrown in the lion's den, right? Uh, Joseph was put in prison and they had to deal with the consequences of standing for God. Mm-hmm. And contrast that, say, with Saul or David, when they didn't have that same line, you know, we, we're, we're walking through First Samuel right now and you're, you're seeing what's happening to Saul as he made concession after concession. And David, the same, the same thing. David's life, end of his life was a disaster, right? right? Second Samuel. Poor family. That's I mean, right. God. I mean, it's not a, it's not, after Bathsheba, and like, it, it's a, it's yeah. a fall off a cliff moment, you know, for David. So I just find that's very interesting. And I think it affirms what you're talking about. It's like when you see men who have decided, or women too, who have decided to stand for God, it's not always like, I made this big stand and then I get to live on the mountaintop. Right. Sometimes you have to go to a valley and sometimes you have to go into the doldrums for a time because you're standing for, for God, right? That's what persecution is. When Jesus said you're going to be persecuted for my namesake. Yeah. <laughs> and you start to get comfortable there. Like, yeah. I will tell you, my mountaintop moments are always private, it seems like, anymore. Mm. And it's it can just be in the morning where I'm doing my daily Bible reading, and I just go somewhere different with God. Mm. And He lets me in on another avenue or another aspect of His character, and we just have this wonderful, intimate moment, uh, and that's mountaintop. And then the day-to-day grind seems to just be, this right. is, we're in it, man. And yeah. and. You know, like I said, you, you taste and see the goodness of God, and you understand that treasure in the field. And it's like, okay, God, you've been with me through every other time we've been down in this valley. Right. Let's just keep going. That's right. And um, it actually becomes easier. It becomes easier because you you know God's going to be there. You know right. he's the one guiding you through it. And so uh, you just, that faith just creates a foundation that 
I couldn't imagine not existing in it, mm. you know, because the choices are there every day to choose to go God's way or, or your way, the flesh's way Absolutely. or the world's way. And there is, you know, this is said all the time in church and um, growing up, like there's no, there's no neutral in the walk with God, right? You're mm. either going forwards or yeah. you're rolling backwards. Right. And oftentimes we'll come to a, a impasse or a crux like that in the road where we have this faith moment decision, like, are we going to do God's way? And we choose not to. And actually what we just heard Marshall talk about, then all of a sudden you start, you just inch backwards enough to where all of a sudden you start, uh, Riley and I call it going back to Egypt. Mm. We, we all, like, it's our motto in our life, like, we will not go back to Egypt. Because we've done it as a married couple where you turn and be on fire for God and then you murmur in the desert and go yeah. back to Egypt because you want to go back to the sin you know. Um, and you're not satisfied with what God has given you in that moment. Um, but you turn around and head back to the world, and all of a sudden your soul starts to feel like there's a haunt, mm. and it's, it feels dry. And it's it's not because God's left you. Right. It's because you've decided you're not going to keep pursuing God in that thing. That's good. Um, and, you know, for the listeners, all it takes is repentance. Mm. You, you acknowledge that before your God and say, I repent of that, and then move forward. Yeah. Um, so that was a long, it was a size discussion. That's okay. Long, who okay. are you, Matt? That's right. <laughs> well, no, this is I mean, just a, the prequel. This is showing right. you guys why that's this right. is probably going to be a two part series. That's right. You said you moved back to Tallahassee, you began working with, as a lobbyist and, um, started fighting that battle or not fighting the battle, but you started seeing a, a way where you could have a, have a career that's this thing, but also walk out your face. So right. pick up from there. Yeah. So I think this might be a good segue into the breaking of me maybe. Okay. Um, and because to be able to actually work in the field I work in as a Christian required me to be broken first. Um, and that was a very hard lesson in my life. Um, and this is, you know, kind of tying back into that, you know, there is no neutral. And, um, you know, we came from California to Tallahassee and, you know, that, that engine had been a neutral for a couple of years. And so, you know, lots of, uh, just kind of backsliding as far as any sort of pursuit of God. It was just operating on the knowledge I'd had for, from the decades of being steeped in the church. Um, but no, true life application no living that out no dependence upon god no waking up daily seeking his strength and his wisdom and the holy spirit's presence in my life um it was just existing uh i think marshall said in the sermon once i was just fine mm-hmm. and marshall said i don't want you to be fine if you're just fine you're not just fine right, no. <laughs> um and so uh we had levi which is our son um and after that, uh, I would say our marriage imploded, um, quite honestly. It was a, he was a very difficult newborn. Um, for the first 14 months, he didn't sleep more than 20 minutes at a time. And as any parent knows, sleep deprivation does real things to your anger portion of your brain. <laughs> y'all, had, y'all had him while you were in Tallahassee, right? Yeah, and we moved here like seven months pregnant. And then y'all were at Red Hills during that time. I, I want to say I remember seeing y'all walk through that yeah and I, you get it's, it's not funny i don't mean it's be funny but you see new like newborn parents like mm-hmm. that there's a look in your you can see right in those eyes you're like i've, I've been there yeah that's the no sleep 
there's oh, a okay. there's a family that just had a baby, and the husband's like, "Yeah, I should be uh, be able to be back serving at church in like two weeks." I'm like, "Oh, no, that's hilarious, sweet boy." <laughs> I tell people, I tell people, if you're a newlywed or a new parent, we don't expect anything from you for a year. Yeah, and that's not because we're looking to, like it takes a, almost a solid nine months to a year, because like there's nothing more disruptive to a a family unit than a new baby. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And I mean, that's in a good way, but it's like uh, nine months to a year. Then you'll maybe be back to the place where you've got this thing under control. And it's about, if you look at it, it's, it's about the right cycle. That's kind of you and wise. <laughs> yeah. So but, anyway, so uh, y'all were struggling, newborn baby. Yep. Um, and so uh, it was just the end of me. I got to be honest with you, uh, family. Like it was, we were on the brink of divorce. There's no other way to say it. We didn't love each other. We didn't care about each other anymore. There had just been so much neglect of each other's hearts. Um, and, you know, that all really fell on me as the leader, as the husband. Um, and this was, so Levi was born mid-2018, rolled into 2019. Um, you know, things are getting bad. I remember she took a trip in the summer of 2019 out to visit her folks and I remember thinking, I don't think she's going to come back. Mm. I remember thinking that. I mean, I bought a round-trip ticket, but I thought she's probably just going to stay there. Mm. And, you know, lo and behold, I now know that she was thinking the same thing, that she mm. didn't know she was going to come back. Um, and that's a low place to be um, in your life. And I know there's people who are listening to this who are there. Um, and let me just encourage you to keep listening because there is – hope and God will rescue anything you let him rescue. Um, but that was the breaking point. That was, I remember sitting in the shower and I just finally said, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this anymore. I can't, I, I don't know how to be a Christian. I don't know how to be a husband. I don't know how to be a father. I don't know how to be a man. I don't know how to do any of this and I need you. And I am utterly convinced it was in that moment of being so poor in spirit, which the Bible tells us we need to be, God just all of a sudden said, that's what I was waiting for. Mm. And, you know, it says in Psalm 51, I believe, um, where David says, you don't desire sacrifices, you desire man's heart. Mm. And I think it was at that moment where I just confessed to God, I've been doing this on my own and I've screwed it all up. He said, yeah, but I'm here. Um, and I did the only thing I knew how to do at somebody who was at that point is I just started opening the Bible. Um, and I just said, okay, I'm going to read a little bit every day, God. Um, and it didn't start out great. Like I'd read like four days and then I wouldn't read for four or five and then I'd pick it back up. Um, and then I started listening to the Bible every day, um, and read through the Bible and I think four months, um, and that was it. Like that started the process that led to who I am today, which is mm-hmm. somebody that Riley will tell you that's not the man I married, not the man I knew. He's somebody completely different. And that's all because God got that word in my heart and it just changed everything. Um, and so it's been, I want to say three and a half years, maybe, maybe a little more now of reading the Bible every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a little life application commentary that I, I go through with it. Some days I read that commentary. Some days I just don't have the time to. But yeah. every day I have the time for the word. Um, and just a question. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people struggle with daily devotion. Right. Right. Like they, uh, 
it becomes almost mechanical. Mm-hmm. Well, then it's like, okay, well, I got to get my four verses in, right? I got to get my chapter in or whatever it is. How do you, that's been like three and a half, it's now part of your, your, yeah, it's my habit. Yeah, your habit. But it's like part of your family culture. It's like part of who you are now. Yep. Uh, how do you, how did you work through, how did you avoid those, those moments of just seeing this as, well, I've, I've checked off the box, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm good today kind of a thing. Yeah, I think that was a process. And I think, uh, you know, if you're starting this out or maybe you're in, you know, month six of doing this and you're listening, uh, just keep at it. Because one, the word won't return void. It mm-hmm. will change your heart. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. Um, and so there was times where it's like, yeah, this feels pretty rote today. Um, yeah. And I didn't get anything out of that today. But you show up the next day, and you show up yeah. the next day. And, and um, I will tell you, there's been periods where, like, maybe for, like, four or five days, it felt, like, kind of dry. Mm. Um, but then I would also talk to God about that and be like, God, I just feel like this is dry. Yeah. Um, don't feel like I got anything out of that. And I would feel him beckoning my heart, like, Matt, come to me with what you want to come to me with. And I would start pouring my heart out in just prayer to God about things I was thinking about and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden— the Bible verse the next day I'd read the chapter was right on that. Hmm. And I'd be like, that's crazy. That was kind of cool. And then that started to kind of become normal. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like every day I'd be like, God, this is what I'm thinking. And the next day I had the chapter on that. But yeah, yeah. I started to see this like repeated pattern like every month or so. Like I pray about something. And like a day or two later, the chapter, and I read verse by verse. So I go one chapter through. So you start Genesis yeah. through. Well, I'd start in whatever book I'm in. Uh, so okay, if I'm in okay. Daniel, I read yeah, chapters yeah. one through the end. Okay. Um, and I'll just do one chapter a day. It's kind of my, I I do that because I'm discipling other guys and doing that. So mm-hmm. I, I keep them on that. I have my own other stuff I read too. But, right. um, and you'd be like, I prayed about this book or about what to read next. You gave me this like this book a month ago, and I missed three days in between. And yet somehow I arrived at this chapter two days after I prayed about it, or a day after. Like the sovereignty of God started mm-hmm. to rain in on this on me. Yeah. Um, and so I started to see it's like, it's not just dry. There are days where like, even in your relationships in life, there's days where it's like, hey, that was a really great day of friendship. And that was just like a day of friendship. You know yeah, what I mean? That's right. No, yeah, for sure. And uh, that was a great conversation. And that was, hey, how you doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it just became, started to become more and more intimate the more I just leaned into God. So I, I guess my encouragement would be just keep at it. Yeah. Um, and it does form who you are. Like Levi knows every morning is dad and mom Bible time. Mm. He just knows. At first, that was a very hard routine to set with him because all he wanted to do was be with dad and yeah, playing. Yeah. Um, but and so it's both you and Riley. This is kind of like a family. Yeah, it started out with me. Um, and you know, sorry, Riley, <laughs> you're, not <laughs> you're not here. But Riley's been probably doing it for about six months now. Okay. Um, and that was kind of actually probably about eight months now. That was. Um, we'll get to this, but after coming back on our first, uh, you know, missionary journey last year, um, she, you know, God revealed some things in her that needed change. Yeah. And, um, and this was one of them, like she needed to dedicate herself to daily pursuing him yeah. in this way. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that's, that's kind of how I became who I am today is just, just chasing after him. And he, he shows up when you do, uh, I'll probably edit this part out, but uh, you said you want to talk about the. Did you want to talk about the less part here? Or uh, we can. It's um, up to you. 
Let me think of a segue into it real quick. So we just dropped off of what I do every day. I could just ask, like, what were some of the things during that time specifically? Like, yeah, actually, let's talk about mine and Riley's marriage here. Okay. And right. then we'll get into the lust. Okay. So I'll say, I'll do this. So uh, during that time, you said, you know, it was like three and a half, four years ago. There were some specific things. I mean, during not just like your Bible reading that kind of brought you out of that, but also there were things, things with relationship. Yeah. So, uh, expand on that just a little bit more. So, you know, this started because I was about to lose my marriage um, and just realizing I, I was just doing everything terribly wrong. And mm-hmm. in my own strength, it was all failing. And Riley came back from that trip. And so I'm very still very freshly, you know, rededicating my, my heart here to God. And I just told her, uh, I'm sorry. I confessed to her and said, you know, I know I haven't been the man you need me to be. Um, and as any married couple knows, when when marriage isn't great, the benefits of marriage aren't great. Your sex life isn't good. Yeah. Your intimacy isn't good. And I think those are two separate. That's why I distinguish that. Um, your communication's not good. Your friendship's not good. Uh, and so, like, nothing was good. Um, and I just said, look, I, I expect nothing of you. Um, I want you to know this is my heart. I'm going to chase after God. And I give you full freedom to be patient while I earn that trust back mm. and I'm not going to demand anything of you. Uh, that, that broke her into tears. Um, and I think now she didn't trust right away. That took a long time to earn that trust back. Um, but it set the stage for her to know, okay, something's happening here. Um, and then as I continued to pursue God every day and every, you know, trying every day and it really became a habit. Um, as my heart began to change, Riley would see that change. Mm-hmm. And trust slowly came back. But even then, um, hurt builds walls. Mm-hmm. And trust doesn't just immediately tear down those walls. It just stops the wall from being built oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as Riley and I's marriage kept moving forward in this, um, and, and as God kept changing the man I was, um, we started to address those walls together. Um, and we will firmly declare to this day that God worked a miracle in our marriage. I mean, he took us from the edge of divorce to nowhere near divorce in just a matter of months. Um, And now he's taken it. And it's been, you know, like I said, three and a half, four years of of working this out together and stumbling along the way. But as I pursued God and trying to be the leader he calls me to be, to bathe my wife in the word, to die to myself for her, to put her desires ahead of mine and, um, to just lead her in that, that loving manner, uh, walls have crumbled, mm-hmm. communication has opened up, um, and we're utterly in love with each other. And, you know, the, the joys of marriage abound because of that. And so it's been, it's been amazing to see that happen. Um, and that kind of like segues into as, as I keep going deeper with God and this stuff, he starts, he won't let you just be surficial about stuff anymore and he starts digging into the deep deep dark parts of you um and you know this is something we kind of talked about in the the pre-meeting and so uh i don't know this is a good place to segue into uh just kind of what god has been doing over the last year um and and particularly in my heart and you know this will probably speak to a lot of the men but but maybe the women too but um god really opened up an area of lust in my heart that needed to be addressed. And, 
Um, it was a very long road. I'll say this was not like, oh, Matt, you have a lust problem. Okay, I surrender and we're good. Um, this was something that revealed more about who we are as individuals and humans than I ever thought I would know. I'm not really a um, psychological guy. I'm not really, I'm very logical. Um, you know, it's, I think a lot of lawyers are, it's kind of how we're wired, but, um, and I don't have any counseling training or anything like that. Um, but God started to really use sermons, different books, um, Bible passages that I was going through to start to call out who I was and the identity that I thought I lived under. Um, and that really tied in with this lust, um, you know, I think a lot of men think that lust is the unconquerable sin. Right. Um, and, you know, I know that that was something that was always spoken in my mind. Yeah. And Satan had that foothold so strong and so, like, yeah, you can fix these other things and you can be good in these areas. And, hey, you're even being a good husband, but don't try to touch this one. Right. It's the third rail. That's you right. can't like <laughs> right. you can't address this. It's too much in who you are as a man. You have too much of a sex drive. You have too experienced too much in your life. There's too many memories, too many thoughts, too many images swirling around. You're never getting over this. Yeah. Um, and I lived there for a long time. And because I, I know and guys, you know this and, and I hate to just speaking to the guys. I just don't know women's hearts on this. So sorry. It's but um you know this thought. It, it echoes and swirls in your mind all the time that I'm not going to get past this. I've done too much. I've, I've got too many images, you know, and this is too big of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God wasn't satisfied with that, and he started to really press down in on me and um, started to bring back memories that I didn't have, right? You kind of lock them off, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, certain things started to come up that, um, I had had something happen to me in my childhood. Um, and, you know, some people have experienced this where, um, you know, just a, a molestation event occurred. And honestly, I never thought of it. I, I didn't even remember it for most of my life. It mm-hmm. had just been secluded. There was a kind of a traumatic event that happened in, in my family that started to bring back all these memories of my childhood that I had just kind of put aside. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, this was one of them that came flooding back. and um, But then also um, lots of memories of not things that have been done to me, but things I had done, acts I had you know, encountered prior to marriage with other women, mm-hmm. um, things I'd engaged in. Um, you know, a lot of guys out there, maybe, you know, videos I'd watched, pornographic material I'd seen. Right. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't say I ever struggled with an addiction to pornography, but I'd seen it. Right, right, right. Um, and... Once those images are in the brain, they're in the brain, mm-hmm. and it doesn't take much to go back and see them again. Um, and so I had all this stuff kind of there, these big things, and God started bringing these memories back, and um, I had no clue what he was doing with this other than I knew he wanted to tackle lust. Um, I knew it had something to do with identity and who I thought of myself. Right. Um, and so... I'm going to try to unwind this because I know I'm kind of babbling a bit here. Um, But God started to reveal to me that you think you can't overcome this because it's an identity that you've created for yourself. Mm. And that's not your true identity. You are redeemed in Christ. You are hidden in Christ. 
And so you are no longer actually subject to this. Christ died, and he conquered this in you. You need to tap into that. Like You need to believe this. This is a big faith thing, guys, that are out there. Like This isn't a willpower thing. This is faith. Like You don't just willpower your way out of this. You believe that God has conquered this. Um, and in part of that is unwinding these identities I created of, I did this to this person or I had sex with this girl. And so that's who I am now. Right, right. Um, I looked at that video and so that's who I am now. And it, it, if you really start to unravel and think back on these things, you start to realize they cultivate your personality. Mm-hmm. I guess I should say identity is just another word for personality here. Like, yeah, yeah. um, you, they, they add these layers on yourself of who you define yourself as. Um, and I think that's why a lot of guys think it's the unconquerable sin because you've defined that it is culture defined that it is. It's told you, you have a sex drive you can't overcome, but that's not true. Um, you know, you can overcome this because there's no, no temptation. That's not common to man. So the Bible tells us and yeah. Christ has overcome that. And there's no temptation so great that you can't overcome. The Bible tells you that. Well, these are. this is the real truth, right? It's the real identity you need to start building on, not right. the no, you can't do it. Um, and so God started to walk me through building that identity up. And he was bringing me to all sorts, like you guys just heard. I spout these scriptures off because God brought them to me and I memorized them. And so when I'd come into these moments of temptation, I'm not saying it was perfect. I'm mm-hmm. not saying it's still perfect. I mean, but... There has been victory, and, and I'll get to that at the later part of the story, but you start to redeem these truths. You start to speak these truths out rather than the lies that the, uh, that the identity that culture built speaks right. to you. Right. So you're like, no, 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 I'm not this lustful man because I had sex with this woman or I looked at this or I did this. No, I'm actually hidden in Christ, and I'm a new creation, and I'm more than a conqueror. And, mm-hmm. and you start to speak back these temptations that Satan's tempting you with, right. or that even your own mind's tempting you with. And you speak out against them, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit gets involved, and you are elevated out of an earthly place and into a heavenly place. And now you're tapping into real power that you can walk away from this because it's really impossible. And I will tell you, it is impossible to think lustful thoughts when you start claiming Scripture and speaking it. Mm. you start speaking these truths and, and you're feeding your spirit and the spirit starts to come alive in you and your flesh is just quashed underneath it. Yeah. Um, so God's walking me through all this and it's great. And it's like, man, we're, we're moving. This train <laughs> is moving towards something. Um, and, but I didn't understand what these memories were. I really did not know why God kept bringing these memories up. And I would tell Riley, he would wake me up in the middle of the night with a, a vivid memory of something I'd done in my past that I don't know why he did this. Like, God, why am I feeling guilt over again? Yeah. Feeling guilt, trying to understand like, and I, this is why I preface with, I'm not a like psychoanalytical guy. (laughs) Like I would wake up and be like, okay, cool. God, why am I thinking this? Yeah. What am I spot? You know, you hear people say like, you need to process this. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? (laughs) What is processed? Like, (laughs) okay, God, here's the memory. Yeah. Yep processed check like but that wasn't processing it i didn't know what it was i still don't know that i do other than i would wake up and just be like okay god i'm stuck in this memory Mm -hmm. and it's four in the morning and this is when i'm my weakest i am very weak when i'm tired that's just my weakest and in the middle of the night when there's nothing to hold you accountable 
Mm. And um, other than the fact that if I believe what I believe, God's right there with me. Right, right. Uh, but that hadn't held me accountable through most of my life. So anyhow, um, and so I'm wondering, God, what are we doing with this memory? And then, like, Riley would wake up in the morning, and I'd be like, well, I've been up for three hours. How you doing? Uh, and, you know, she's she's groggy until she gets a cup or two of coffee in her. And I'm st- I start pouring this stuff out on my poor wife, who's because uh, she walked through this with me. She was awesome. She walked through it. And I will tell you guys, husbands especially, if you confess this, if you have the courage to confess this sin to your wife mm-hmm. and ask her to walk through it with you, you can't be prideful in it. When you hear your wife, when you, you say, I'm struggling today, and she grabs your hands and says, God, help my husband with his lust, nothing humbles you quicker. Yeah. It humbles you to the core of who you are, that your wife is praying your deepest, darkest sin. And that's great. I, I want to clarify, too, because it's something we talked about in our pre-discussion. I just want to make sure that it comes clear through your story, yeah. which is... When we say that, when you use the word lust, like you, we identified identity, we can kind of throw these terms around. Like right. identity is our identity. Well, it's also identity is more than just how we see ourselves. It's who we project out to others, right. to right, how other people see us. And it's our words, it's our deeds, it's how we dress, it's all these things, right? It's personality. So when you, when you use the word lust, we're not just talking about pornography. We're not just talking about, like, it's a, it's, we're using it as in a general term. Uh, you're using it as a, as a way as how we see and view, uh, in this context, specifically women, right, right. in your life. Uh, and But also, and that's a current thing, but you were talking about, too, you were having to go back and, and ex- re-experience the, 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 the things that you uh, went through adolescence years, your college years, other relationships. And so God's not only dealing with your, and you said sin, right? Your current lustful actions, but also the past. Yeah. He was, um, he was taking me back to those memories and, um, some of them were very hurtful. Some of them were just where I'm like, I'm an idiot. Um, but I, I'll never forget listening to a testimony of a woman who had gone through something way worse than, than I encountered. She had been sexually molested by her father and beaten in the process and mm. beaten to the point of like basically being left for dead on the floor multiple times. Um, and this pastor slash counselor, and he was a legit trained counselor, right. um, was walking her through this, and he kept making her go back into these memories, and she didn't understand why. And... Um, and all of a sudden something clicked with her and she just started experiencing freedom very rapidly um and being able to have freedom from these past hurts and he asked her, he's like what what is happening why are you like all of a sudden running through these stages of Mm -hmm. you know coping and processing and all that and she said well you said something to me about that christ is always with us and he's with us in all things and she said i'm going back to those memories now and looking up and seeing Jesus there, and I'm not alone. Um, and I remember when she said that, she said she was, it was one of the times where she had been very, very badly beaten, and she was laying there basically on the edge of death, and in her memory, she just looked over and saw Jesus weeping, mm. and I lost it, because yeah. this took me back to multiple, multiple things, um, you know, these memories that God had been bringing back to me, and all of a sudden I started, and you know, our minds operate very quickly in flashes of an eye or blink of an eye, going through all these memories, and Jesus is there now. Mm. 
And it's not just me alone. It's not just me and my sin. It's not just me having something bad happen to me. It's me and my Savior is yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and that did something to break the guilt. I don't know what it did. I don't, I don't know if it was the fact that I experienced Jesus in, in a way I never had before in that mm-hmm. moment or in those moments and in those memories of realizing, like, my God was with me in this. He didn't abandon me, and he's not abandoning me now. Yeah. He's been so merciful and patient and gracious watching me stumble for multiple decades now, but now he's done, and he's not going to let me stumble anymore. He's mm. making me address this. Now, again, this is after years of being faithful and pursuing God, and he starts really getting into the deep stuff and wanting you to experience freedom from this. Um, and so, I'm sorry, I'm starting to maybe get a little choked up mm-hmm. here, but um, he uh, he took me through those moments, right? And now I see that, that Christ is in it, and he's going to pull me through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think then it really unlocked the ability to talk with people about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, one of the things sin and shame does is we think we need to hide it and put it in these shadows and in these lockers and vaults, and we need to be this perfect Christian in front of people. And mm-hmm. um, that's just a sad display of not believing in the the transformation power of Jesus. And I'll just tell you that. Sure. Be convicted in it. Whoever's listening, that's what you're doing. You're not yeah. believing in Jesus' power, and you want to cast your own image. Yeah. Um, you're worried about... By not sharing, uh, I think we ta- I talked about this with Ashley in our podcast kickoff when we're talking about giving your testimony. So people, so many people struggle with that because, I mean, there's there are honestly personal things that right we'll all everyone will go to the grave with right that no one will ever know. There's there are parts of our hearts and our lives that it's just like okay that is that is that's not untouchable from God's standpoint, but it is something I'm not going to just openly share with anybody. But if we we've got to become comfortable with sharing what Jesus has done with the, in our yeah. lives, right? We have to be willing to share in the right moment. I'm not just talking about going to Facebook every day and just saying, oh, here's the new the, thing, right? Yeah. But like, you know, be open in, in the right moments, let the Holy Spirit lead you and, and be open in that moment to say, okay, well, let me talk about what God's done in our lives. I mean, Revelation talks about the power of the testimony is how they overcame the yep. beast, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, the our testimony, what Jesus has done, it's 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 the our most powerful thing. It is. And it shows the the wonderful work of God in your heart and like and in your life like you know I was telling you beforehand and, and I share this with people um but Marshall our pastor I was telling him I I feel like I'm becoming more Jewish the closer I get with God and, and it's not like I'm becoming more Hebraic or anything like yeah, that. It's that's right. it's that the Jewish culture tells stories. Mm-hmm. And that's how the Bible was communicated and you see how Jesus relays a lot of the stuff. It's all in stories. And like the story of the woman at the well, right? These are stories. This is her story. It's her testament. Behold a man who told me everything I'd ever done. Yeah. And all of a sudden she wants to go and tell everybody this. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I think the closer you get to God, the more you don't really care about your sin because you know he's overcome it. And you know that everybody around you is going through the exact same thing. As much as they want to put the good face on, I know, and it's not hard, especially when you've been there. I can look at people's marriages at Red Hills and I go, I know exactly where you're at. I was there three years ago. Yeah, you can see in their eyes. Yeah, you yeah, see it. Sure. It's all over them, and they think they're hiding it, but they're not. Yeah. Um, and the only reason they're not is because we've been there. 
And so when you've got the scar, you've got the, yeah. you've got the muscle memory from having gone For through sure. that process. All you want to do is sit down and say, let me tell you about Riley and I yeah. and how she, I thought she was going to leave me and she was ready to leave me and all this. And you just want to tell your story. And that is your testimony. Like, yeah, I got saved young, but man, I'm getting saved every single day, not in salvation, but yeah, yeah, yeah. just in my growth. Yeah. yeah. And the sanctification of walking out our faith. Uh, and I want to, this just kind of came to me as you were asking and then you're talking about like god why was god bringing back these things and i'm sure you've got more clarity on it as as the the months have passed but i feel like so you know one of the the characters of god that's not the name of god but it's something he's called in the bible um is the great physician yeah and when god's taking us back i say this on the podcast a lot like we call it the bright light of jesus but it's um, I've interviewed people that um, never made the podcast, and it's because during the conversation, it was pretty clear, like, they're still in the middle. Yeah. Uh, and one of the ways I can tell pretty quickly, and I'm not saying I'm special in this, it's just this is how I've, you know, you do this enough, you, you kind of figure it out. When people can't look back to their past, and they can't see Jesus in the middle of that, like the lady, the, the woman that was, yeah. she woke up, she could literally see Jesus while she, after the most, one of the most horrific moments of her life. If you can't go look back and see Jesus in the worst of your moments, then you're, you're not there yet. Um, and what I would say is that's, that was your experience of God waking you up in the middle of the night and you walking through that. That was the great physician taking a, a scalpel, a scalpel yeah. you know, going through you and cutting you open to the depths to the deeps of your heart and the parts, the recesses that you had shut off. Only mm -hmm. there was, you, you mentioned how there were like memories popping up that you didn't even know exist. That's because like our brain has this unique way of, of, of protecting ourselves. Right. And only God could have tapped into that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like there was only one way that's going to happen. And he literally like with a spiritual knife, like, like cut open your brain and said, okay, we're going to touch this yeah. and you're going to have to feel this and it's going to hurt. But the only way you can heal is to experience pain. Yep. And 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 so I believe that's what God was doing because the guy I'm talking to right now, I'm 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 in line with Riley. Like that's not the same guy I knew when you first got here. Yeah. You know, three four years ago, our conversations were completely different now. Um, and that's an encouragement because and I mean that as encouragement. Uh, God has taken you through so much, but He's allowed you've allowed Him, and you said this before. And at first I was like, I don't know how a lot allowing God to do things, it kind of seems like we're in control. But there is in a moment, there's a part where God can reveal something and then you can harden your heart right. and say, uh, no, you're not touching that. Mm -hmm. and, and until you allow him, yeah. the Holy Spirit, to begin to touch those parts and you have to deal with that pain, true healing. You can heal a little bit, right? The scab will start overcome, you know, but you won't really build up that scar tissue where you can actually go back and say, okay, like, I can talk about this without it sending me into like a, a tailspin of emotions. Or right. Something like that, so. Yeah. And you know, maybe I wasn't clear on that, but yeah, as far as like allowing God, but I do believe like we have a choice in our sanctification process, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and um, we can either choose to when, when God presses on a button, say, yeah, it's yours or say, no, not yeah. today. There's and, plenty of examples in the Bible of yeah. people who didn't. Right? I mean, so, yeah, like you said, we're going through Samuel right now. And we just watch it with Saul over yeah. and over again. It's like, yeah. when are you going to finally just yield? And he didn't. And uh, the end result. Yeah, and, and the end result is, you know, sadness. Um, and we see that with people in our day-to-day -day life. And I just, I thank God that 
he just keeps being so merciful and gracious, yeah. right? Romans 10, and, you know, he's talking to Israel, but he says, I, day and night my arms are outstretched, waiting for you to repent and return to me, you obstinate people. <laughs> and, like, you know, how long does God just wait for Israel, and even now, waiting for Israel yeah. to just turn to him? He, he's not going to stop. You will harden your heart to certain things, but I think you can— you respond, he'll give you a little more. You respond, he'll give you a little more. He'll start walking you through that. Get back into where we were talking about the, the lust issue and what God is doing with that, just kind of bringing up these memories and mm-hmm. and all that and working through it. Um, another missionary couple that everybody probably in the church knows is Chris and Lacey and um it's it's funny side antidote here is one of the reasons Marshall's like Marshall spoke over Riley and I like hey y'all are missionaries and I just thought that was funny because <laughs> um, God had actually told Riley and I that like the week before but one of Marshall's reasons was how quickly we bonded with Chris and Lacey and he's like mm. missionaries will bond with missionaries preachers will bond with preachers and yeah, it's just like this instant like minded yeah. yeah and so he's like uh, he's, he came over and spoke that over us but anyways Chris and I bonded very closely um, and we were discussing this issue of lust together. And mm-hmm. I, I hadn't reached this point, I don't think, of resolution yet um, or really understanding what God was after. I knew mm-hmm. he was digging deep. I knew he kept digging. But I was telling Chris, I don't know why he keeps showing me these things and why. And mm. you know, I told him, like, I'm talking with Riley about it, but I don't understand the processing of it. And he's like, yeah, that's that's weird that you just keep having this stuff. I'm like, I know. Uh, and he had to get up and excuse himself for something. And in that moment, like, God immediately just spoke to me the the passage of Satan being cast down from heaven heaven, and how it was like a, a flash of light being cast down and falling to the earth. And this is um, in the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And, I mean, it was as clear as clear. It was as if God took me to a movie scene and I mm. saw that. And I was just like, what are you trying to say here? And just right to my heart, he said, that's you. Now, for anybody who knows that passage, that's not me. That's an image of Satan being right, cast right, from heaven. Right, okay. <laughs> um, and so, uh, but he revealed my heart in that. And the, the revelation to me was, and I think the reason why he was bringing up all these past memories and having these be fresh in my mind. Um, and, you know, this was, just so you, everybody knows, this was about an eight to nine month process. Yeah. Um, this was not a, a one month or two month. This was... Lots of late nights or, or early mornings, however you want to say it. Um, lots of difficult times of prayer, um, difficult conversations with my wife and with people. And it, it all came down to this realization that for decades I had been seeking people's approval through lust. And I'm going to redefine this word for you after I get to the end, but um, seeking their approval, seeking their worship, seeking their glory. Mm. And what God was telling me is you're taking the same position Satan took in heaven. You want their worship rather than me getting their worship. And that was utterly crushing. Mm. And because I'm back from my first missionary journey at this point, I'm Mm -hmm. a guy who's thinking he's got it together and you know, we don't ever and um, and there's so much more buried in me still that I know God, like right now, God is really digging into my anger. Um, there is something in me that is angry. 
and we're going through a process here and trying to figure that out. Now, I'm not angry at people. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't really come out. It, sometimes it comes out to Riley and Levi or mm-hmm. my, my immediate family in the form of frustration. But, like, I don't walk around angry at people, but there's something in my heart there, and I know it, and God knows it, and he wants it gone. Um, so, back to this. Um, he wanted this out of me mm-hmm. because it was that's a pretty big gnarly sin. Yeah. Like, hey, Matt, you're doing the same thing Satan did. Like, that's a level of pride that can no longer exist if you're going to be my man mm-hmm. and if you're going to be following me and if you're going to be a missionary for me and you're going to do what you say you're doing in your home and in your walk and in your workplace. Like, this is, can't be here. Um, and funny enough, like, you know, like we discussed earlier, I'm in a book of the Bible that I had been assigned by God in my heart to read like five months earlier. Mm. And I'm in a chapter that very next week that's talking about Israel coming into the promised land and having to walk around the walls of Jericho. And, um, and they had to walk around these walls for seven days. And for six days, they walked around it. And I'm thinking to myself, why seven days? What's the purpose of this? Mm-hmm. And uh, I came to a commentary that said, I think God did this because every day he was showing them how big this wall really was. Mm -hmm. That there was no way these guys with wooden spears and stuff are going to tear down this wall. And I'm reading this and going, that's how big this sin is in me. This is actually like a wall of Jericho. I don't even know how to begin to tear this down. And I just said, God, this this is my Jericho wall. And he confirmed it. He said, absolutely it is. Are you going to walk around it? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) And and it sounded really hokey in my mind. Like, I'm going to wake up every day, and I'm going to pray walk around this wall of Jericho. And I did it the first day, and I was like, yep, that was hokey. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and I'm like, but let's do it. You've been faithful. That's right. You told me to do this. I know it was you. I'm just going to do it. Sorry. I just hit the mic. Um, and so day two, I wake up and I do it and it's, it's not so hokey, but this time I'm like, you know what? I'm going to seek some accountability on this. So I texted my entire family, my side and Riley's side and said, there's a very big sin in my life. It's a wall of Jericho. I'm going to walk around it. And on day seven, I'm going to scream and God's going to tear this wall down and I'm going to tell you all about it. So there's that. There's, uh, there. Now it's right. out there. It's, it's now now I have at least exhibited enough faith to where if I fail, I'm going to look stupid, right? And that's sure. basically saying I'm not going to fail because I'm going to trust God to do this. Right. Um, day three, it's no longer hokey, but it's also it hasn't really taken root in me yet. So now I reach out to my accountability partner, Chris Ryan, and I say, Chris, this is what I'm doing. Pray with me through it. He, so he starts praying. Day four, it is not at all hokey. Now the faith has really started to take root in this. And I'm starting to get excited. And I'm like, wait, like this is going to happen. Like This unconquerable sin is about to be conquered. What started out as a walk of faith became like a step out in faith, like, like, like confidence. In no, faith. now the faith is building yeah, each day. Right, yeah. And like, like now I'm believing. Yeah. It's not just I'm doing this. It's like now I'm believing. Yeah. And, you know, one of our Bible verses we learned as a church, for those who don't go to Red Hills and might hear this, we learn a Bible verse every week. And, um, boy, I might get, might get it wrong here, putting you on the spot, Matt. But uh, it's Hebrews eleven six. It says, For it is impossible to please God. For without faith is it impossible to please God, because those who seek Him must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. 
now that was probably Matt paraphrase, but you all get the point. Um, go look it up. Hebrews 11, six. <laughs> Anyhow, as I exhibited that faith, it began to really happen. Mm-hmm. Um, day five, it's like, dude, can we get to day seven? And I'm telling Riley, I, you're going to hear me. I'm going to step out of this RV and I'm going to scream. And she's like, okay, cool. You know, <laughs> Riley's just supporting her husband, probably thinking I'm a weirdo, but yeah. Um, so we get to day six and now I'm like, I'm super excited. And day six that evening, I wake, I get woken up at three in the morning and I firmly believe this was the devil or one of his demons waking me up because all the thoughts, every thought you can imagine starts creeping in. And I have to sit in the dark from three in the morning until my wife wakes up and she gets up around seven thirty, just praying praying through this saying, God, it's day six and a half. I'm not walking away from this. Like mm. I'm not leaving you. Don't leave me. And just praying and praying. Woke up that day. And like I said earlier, I'm weakest when I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm dead dog tired. I'm on three hours of sleep. And now my faith is honestly felt dead. I didn't believe in it anymore. Mm. I was like, I don't even know. I want to do this. Like, I don't want to go outside and be stupid and scream. Mm. And the Holy Spirit just said, do it. Like, Come on, start. And this is another side. I'm sorry. This is going to be like a four-part podcast. <laughs> I firmly believe that sometimes we need to speak to our soul, and we need to speak the words of God and the truths of God, and it will awaken within us that faith. It will Our, our Holy Spirit within us will start to be fed, and the flesh mm-hmm. will die. And so I just told her I need to go on a walk, and I just started walking around the property that we're staying on right now in our RV, and... I just started claiming these truths. I just started claiming the truth of, of God and, and his, the verses he had given me to memorize. And all of a sudden, that faith started to come back really strong. And I was like, we're doing it now. I don't care if I'm tired. I believe you're going to do this. And I walked out to the edge of the property. There's a little um, pond kind of that just looks out to these woods. It's like a wetland. And I just sat there and I said, I believe I'm going to sit here quiet. God, you tell me when it's time for me to scream so that you'll tear this wall down. And I probably sat there for about two minutes just in quiet, and it was immediate. My heart said, now. Mm-hmm. And I just started screaming like Braveheart, like absolutely ridiculous thing. I just start screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and next thing I know, I'm just sobbing. Mm-hmm. And I firmly believe I'm sobbing because now I'm on holy ground because mm-hmm. God showed up. And... I can't describe it. There's no way to fully describe, but that wall crumbled. Mm. And the power of lust, the power of those memories, the power of the visuals I still have in my mind, they aren't erased. They're there. They have zero power. Yeah. Um, and they still creep up, and they, they come, but the wall is gone. Yeah. The defenses that Satan had against this is completely eroded. Now, I can go back and build that wall if I want to. Yeah, sure. I will tell you, this is that whole neutral thing. You can't be in neutral. And if I park yeah. this car in neutral and decide to just let it be, I will start to put bricks up that rebuild that wall of Jericho in me. But I don't want to because now I know yeah. the freedom. I know what it is to walk in the newness of life in this area. Yeah. And I now know how to walk guys through this because this mm. is an unspoken thing in the hearts of probably 90% of the men at every church, if not higher, that haven't walked through victory and yeah. and lust. And now I'm going to redefine the word lust, and then we can jump into version two or volume right, right, two. Right, right. 
Lust is not sexual. Yeah. That is an aspect of it. Lust is anything that we put on top of what God, God has given us. It's a thing where we say mm. God is not enough. So now let's expand that a bit sexually. God gives us a wife, mm -hmm. and he gives us a marriage, and he gives us her as our image of that. We can either say that's enough, or we can say it's not. And if it's right. not, we can go look for other images of other women to add to that. God gives us money and provision. And we can either, whatever that is, we can be rich, we can be right. poor, we can, but he's going to give us what we need. And we can say that's either enough or it's not. And we can lust for more or not. Mm -hmm. God can give us the abundant life, which does not look like what Americans right, think right. the abundant life looks like. Right, right, right. It looks like what you were describing earlier, prison. Going through persecution and suffering, yeah. that is actually the abundant life. And, and we can live that with Christ, or we can say, it's not enough. I need to add something to your abundant life, which means I'm not going to give you this part of me, God. I'm going to hold on to that. Yeah. Um, that's lust. Yeah. We've just wrapped it up thinking it's sexual, but it's not. And that's why I think God gave me that vision of Satan being cast from, from heaven to earth. It's that idea that what God gave him, the position in heaven, wasn't enough. Right. And his pride wanted more. Wanted worship, yeah. And we want more than what God has given us. And it will start to take root and tangle you and ensnare you to the point to where now you've got a wall of Jericho. Yeah. You don't even know how to unravel this thing. But God will if you have faith in it and you start walking through that with him. It may only take a week with you. It may be a seven-day process. It may be a seven-year process. It may be a 20-year process. Look, I've had lust in my life. I'm almost 40 yeah. since puberty, let's say, yeah, <laughs> right? Sure, yeah. um, and so you're talking about 20, better part of 25 years, 30 years that walking, walking out of this. Um, and so I just want to encourage that and anybody who's listening, like God will tackle this stuff. He mm -hmm. will crumble these walls of Jericho if you let him. Um, it's been such, such a powerful conversation because you got a son. Right, mm -hmm. I've got one, and I'm, you know, speaking to again. We're not trying to when we when we talk directly to men or boys. We're not disregarding women in this, right? Because the way you just define lust, which was great, it it goes, it expands it beyond just carnal desire right. for other people. But you brought it back around to let's just go to the carnal part of lust, which is something that we are. I don't want to say hardwired, but there is something inside men that we're at a very young age, right? right. It turns around 12, 13, boom, it hits, and then we are off to the races. Um, and one of the things that I, I, even to this day, you know, I've walked through something similar that you've walked through and come out on the other side of it. And I'm looking at my son and I'm going, how, this is where I'm just, I feel inadequate as a dad sometimes. How can I help you right. not have to go through what I went through to be able to come out on the other side and not struggle with the images that I can't get rid of, the thoughts, the memories. Like, man, like I would give any, I would give my right and left leg if I could just wake up one, one day, just one day in my life and not be reminded of the life that I, I lived. And it's been 15, 20 years now, but I want that so hard. I want that so much from my son, yeah. right? Um, and I don't know how, 
I mean, speaking this to a, a 12, 11, 13 year old, like it's going to go one in ear out the other, or they're just not going to get it. And unfortunately, I don't want to just kind of just admit that there's nothing we can do about it. I believe there is something we can do about it, but I just feel inadequate. And I want to encourage the dads to have open one. You need to go walk through your own Jericho type moment. You've got to yeah. get, you got to get a handle on your own life, but you can have these real honest conversations with your boys. Cause I'm starting to have them with Landon, my son, and he's only 10 about to be 11, but we started to have some conversations and I'm trying to instill with him and these, the, these, these kind of, this is what's going to come at you mm-hmm. now. How are we going to deal with it? I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know. I'm walking through it myself. We'll, we'll figure it out. You know, one but, of the, the best parent book I think that's out there is praying for wisdom mm, and, yeah. and the Holy spirit will start to speak things to you about how to address these. But Back to the, this is an education podcast. I, I heard something really interesting uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they're starting to discover in genetics that um, like we actually, the, the, the things we do as a, an adult or as a person actually start to encode themselves on our genetics. Mm. And we pass that on to our children. Yeah. And so if you've had victory in an area, mm. your DNA actually like recodes itself. And that victory gets passed into your DNA. And so okay. your child yeah. will like, okay, listen, I'm sure. not a, no, I get it. I'm it not a geneticist. No, I don't yeah. even know if that's the right word, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but it's a really interesting thought because, you know, science always comes back and affirms what God tells you. That's right. And, and the Bible says that, you know, sins can be, or will be passed on or, or visited yeah. on the third generation or up to the third generation or something. I don't, I don't have that exact, exactly memorized the, the correct way to say that, but like the Old Testament. When yeah, the, the sins of the father yeah. will be visited upon the yeah. sons. Um, and so like genetics are actually starting to prove that out. And so one of the things like I'm looking at with Levi is, okay, well, I'm sorry. One is uh, there's a lot of stuff I didn't have conquered before right, we yeah. created you. And, and uh, but I also now know who I was when we got pregnant with Levi and what I'm probably going to have to walk him through. Yeah because of who I was and you know, something that's not really in this and we probably won't delve into it on this podcast is I have a very addictive personality. And so I've, you know, walked away from addictions to tobacco. I've walked away from what I think are addictions to alcohol, um, addictions to work. Right. Mm -hmm. I just have one of these like very addictive, throw yourself into something. Yeah. And it, and it can really take over. Um, and I see that in Levi already. I mean, he is a just zoned in type of guy and, um, and so I'm already thinking, hmm, yeah. how, like, like what you're saying, how Levi's for those listening just turned five. So I've not quite where, where Lyle is, but like, how are we going to walk through this and help them? Cause as a parent, all you want to do is not have your kid experience what you've experienced. That's right. Yeah. You don't want them to battle the dumb things that keep replaying in your own mind. But also as a parent, you can't Prevent. put them in a bubble. Yeah. You can't like... And I don't mean that to be like, hey, don't don't be on top of your kids. I think you need to be on top of your kids, like <laughs> right. right on them, especially in this day and age and this culture. But, you know, your kids have to learn their own faith. They have to yeah. understand and manipulate and grasp Scripture and how that walks itself out in their own faith. And, and part of that is how do we do that as a parent where we let them get there, mm-hmm. but we protect them from not going into the same junk we did um, I think having, con- I mean, it starts with, I mean, absolutely answer, conversations, open discussions, awkward conversations, all, yeah, awkward conversations. <laughs> knowing that that's when I talked to, I was like, Landon, you are, we are two dudes in a house of 
three women, two female dogs, and a female cat. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of estrogen running through our house. And so we got to bond together, dude. It's just me and you here. Yeah. And so, yeah, we were, we were actually just, we walked down to the park from our house and just sat on the bench. We had biked up to Circle K and we biked out down and we like to, you know, enjoy food together. So that's kind of our, one of our bonding things. And had one of the, uh, a very open conversation. And I, th- and I think having that early, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know about you. Like, I think generationally, I think this is what you're kind of, kind of getting to. Like, I didn't have the kind of conversation with my dad. Yeah. Right. So, and I don't blame him for it. He, way he was taught, the way he grew up, they certainly didn't have those conversations. So, I think as we learn from that and we become better dads in that sense, and start having those open conversations about with that with our son and the power that these things can hold over us. And um, I mean, I think to your point generational curses you can kill those things no, right? absolutely and I think you can end a cycle of certain we call them generational curses but just like it, perpetual sins mm-hmm. in generational lives if you don't know what that term means um it's not a curse meaning that you, a curse is almost like somebody said this over you and then it's just going to keep yeah, happening you can't stop it yeah but I, I, this is just like sins you can literally almost pass down from from child to child or generation to generation i think we can totally through conversation, through discipling our own kids, mm-hmm. um, can help them through that. I, I made the joke to my wife yesterday. I got my oldest is fourteen, and it's like she's so different that, from me, but she's so like me in so many different ways. And I feel like sometimes our kids, who when you see yourself in your kids, it's like payback. <laughs> it's like it's like that's I, what every grandparent will tell right, you. Too. That's right. It's like it's just some more payback for all the the crazy stupid things that came out of my mouth. I'm telling my child. Think before you you talk. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't remember how many times my parents told me that. So that brings me to this point. I know this is a mass podcast, but this is an educational okay. podcast. Awesome. This is good. I, I think we have to, as parents, we have to be okay with our kids experiencing pain. Yeah. And that that's hard. It's very hard. Because they have to walk through their own call it Jericho moment, or they have to they have to walk through their own process so that Jesus can make himself strong yeah. in their lives and we have a lot of kids and we, we do this podcast a lot when people they don't have they feel like well i don't have that big sin moment well that's okay right i mean i would say you walk through a lot of stuff it seems like um, stereotypical type adolescence struggles i don't know everybody gets arrested but like i came close mm-hmm. a few times like like but like god took you through that stuff way later in life yeah. right and and what, what i'm trying to get at is like we have to let our kids walk through that. Whether they have these great sins they have to overcome, hopefully not. But they even have to learn to overcome sometimes bigotry or prejudice or yeah. anger or lust or selfishness or you know whatever it is, whatever these things are, God's going to want that too. Yep. And, and like, just because just they're not big sins doesn't mean they're not something that they have to walk through. And they're big to you. It's yeah. subjective, right? right? And I mean, and God knows that he knows what you're going through and all he wants to do is walk you to being like Christ, right? This is the yeah. this is the warm up act for eternity. That's right. And like Riley, my wife is like perfect. I mean, <laughs> you know, she she is not rebellious. She didn't grow up being rebellious. She was very obedient. Um and so like she'll say it. she's like I don't have these big Yeah. Things. And I'm like, well, praise God, you don't. That's right. Because I know it sounds cool in the podcast, like, oh, he overcame, or yeah, like, yeah, yeah. but it's awful. It's yeah, not. Yeah, it's it's not, not fun to walk through this stuff, and it's not fun to have these memories. And that's why you know you and I are sitting here saying we don't want this for a kid. Right. Like you know, like 
hey, my arm wasn't chopped off. It's really cool that yours was, and you can still play guitar. But I would rather my son have both his arms, That's right? right. <laughs> like, and if and if he has to go through that, to there are, a child may be more stubborn than others, or whatever it may be. If if our kids have to go through that, then we have to have one, as we've already mentioned, faith enough in God that he's our kids are not our kids; they're his kids, and he's got them just as strongly as we can. He his his grasp on them is much stronger than our own, right? right? And we have to have enough faith to know that God's going to walk them through it. And if he can, based on your story, my story, like if God can walk us boneheaded, stubborn men through what we've been through, um, I could, God can do it with anyone. Absolutely. So uh, that's, that's really good. So I guess that, that's probably part one.